This week's reading comes from Acts 9, verses 1 to 12. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. A uh, big welcome. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, if you don't normally join us here, my name's Stuart and I'm one of the associate vicars here. And uh, this morning we're going to be continuing in our little mini-series after Easter entitled uh, Meeting the Risen Lord. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9 and Saul and his encounter on the Damascus Road. But why don't we pray before, uh, before we dive in. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for your presence with us this morning. And we pray that as we look at this um, passage together, that you would speak to us. You would strengthen us and encourage us. And we would hear everything you have for us this morning. Amen. Wonderful. Well, I thought I'd start with a little bit of a, a fact. I wonder whether you know or you've heard before that Muslims sometimes refer to Christians as people of the book. It's actually a term that originates in the Quran where it's used several times to refer to both Christians and Jews. People of the book, people who have the scriptures and reverence them and live by them. Well, where am I, where am I going with that? Well, today uh, we're looking at Saul, this character uh, we find in Acts chapter 9. And he could most certainly have been described as a person of the book. We're told elsewhere in the New Testament um, that uh, before his conversion, uh, Saul was a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had dedicated his entire life to the study of the scriptures and to promoting uh, strict adherence to its teachings and its laws. He was a person of the book. And of course, uh, we as Christians are too proudly people of the book. We believe and we've found that God has spoken in these pages. We've found it to be reliable and true and uh, a way to life. 
But as we look at Saul this morning, uh, and as we go through life, sometimes uh, we might ask the question, especially in situations uh, we see around us where we'd love to God for God to speak or to intervene or to do something. We might ask the question, are we more, as Christians, are we more than just a people of the book? Is there more to our faith than records of what God has done in the past, records of what God has said in the past? Or is the God we worship and follow still active, still at work, still speaking? Well, I want to, to look at this passage and I want to draw out uh, three little things. But the first and major thing I want to draw out from this passage is probably the most obvious of all the points, um, but it's still really worth dwelling on. So my first point this morning uh, is this. The Jesus we, we follow is alive and active today. He is alive and active today. Of course, uh, many of us as Christians are very familiar with the Easter story. We've heard it uh, many times. We heard it a couple of weeks ago again. And most of us are relatively comfortable uh, with the idea that Jesus died and then rose again and appeared to many of his followers. But sometimes our challenge comes when trying to connect those truths um, with today. What does it mean for today? And if we're not careful, for many of us, Jesus can easily become a figure largely confined to the past. Uh, we, we love him, we adore him, we follow him, um, but largely he's become, or can become for us, someone who did something for us, and not so much an active figure in our lives. But one of the key messages in the book of Acts is that this Jesus who rose again, this Jesus who ascended, has not disappeared. He is still active in his world, among his people, calling people to himself. And this uh, passage, this story from the uh, book of Acts, the story of the early church, is one of the most striking examples of, of a living and active Jesus. Saul, which is his Hebrew name, so that's a fun fact, uh, so uh, many people think he changed his name to Paul later, but actually uh, Paul is just his name in Greek, so uh, Saul, who is otherwise known as Paul. Saul is travelling along the road from Jerusalem to Damascus, happily believing that the rabbi Jesus, the false messiah, is dead and presumably buried somewhere. And he's off to root out the rest of his heretical and delusional followers, try and put an end once and to all to this um, misguided uh, sect followers of the way. So he's headed down the road and then suddenly there is a deafening voice and a quite literally blinding light. And that very Jesus who he uh, was so sure was dead literally knocks him off his horse and he finds himself on the ground before him. This must have been quite, quite an experience. It doesn't surprise me that he never seems to have got over it for his entire life. When I was uh, much younger, when I was uh, in a youth group, um, I remember once going on a youth camp and one of the older guys in the, uh, uh, coming with us who was in, sleeping in our dorm, uh, he was terrorising all of us in the room. He was going around telling us all how he was going to play 
uh, pranks on us in the night. He was going to put toothpaste on our eyebrows. He was going to put our hands in warm water. All this kind of these kind of shenanigans. Um, so the rest of us younger uh, youth in the, in the room, uh, we, we we ganged up on him a bit, made a plan, and we all got up um, in the middle of the night when he was asleep, and we gathered around him. We all got things that we could bang, and we all kind of timed it just right, and we all started banging things, and then someone shone a light in his in in his face, and then we all shouted, train! And, um, uh, well, uh, probably looking back, that was not particularly helpful, and hopefully the guy wasn't too traumatised, and it's not really advisable behaviour, obviously, but nonetheless, you should have seen his face. You should have seen his face, the light and the noise, and it was just like, it was, a, it was a sight to behold. I can only imagine what it must have been like for Saul, travelling on the road, along the road, thinking that Jesus was dead, and then, and then he's knocked off his horse by the very same Jesus. And it is worth noting that it was Jesus. As Saul falls to the ground, he cries out, who is it? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he might have been expecting a number of answers. He might have expected uh, it to, uh, to be an angel. He might have expected it to be a God calling to him um, or, or the Holy Spirit. But the voice um, that addresses him identifies himself as Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. As Paul found out that day, this Jesus uh, is not just a figure of the past and not just uh, a belief um, of the Christians, but he is alive and active in his world. And that, that simple truth uh, shown to us here in this chapter, it has kind of implications that unfold in every direction. What does it mean if Jesus is not only alive but at work in his world? The one we read about uh, hear about it is still at work and teaching and moving. So many directions that we could take that. But I just want to draw out two implications from our passage directly. Uh, two things, the implication of the risen Jesus who's active in the world, that, that will hopefully encourage and challenge us. And the first one is this. The risen Jesus can break into any life. The risen Jesus can break into any life. This is not simply a story of Saul uh, hearing the good news about Jesus and then turning to him or responding to him. There are many stories like that in the book of Acts. Many people who hear the good news of Jesus and then turn to him. But this is just not one of those. In fact, we're told that uh, Saul already knew the gospel. We see in chapter 7, for example, that he had heard what Christians believe as he had overheard uh, the martyr Stephen's final speech before he was involved in stoning him. So Saul had heard what Christians claimed. They'd heard the claim that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God. He'd heard that he had died, uh, not just accidentally, but intentionally, for us, for our sins and for our salvation. And he had heard the claim that he had risen again. And yet, despite having heard all of this, Saul was still on a mission to exterminate the followers of Jesus and the church. 
Later on uh, in life, Paul would write, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. And I don't think that he was being melodramatic when he said that. I think he was simply remembering this period in his life. And it is hard to think of someone more consciously resistant to the gospel than the young Saul here on the road to Damascus to root out and possibly even put to death the followers of Jesus. But here's the thing, here's the thing, despite all of Saul's hard-heartedness, the risen Jesus had other plans, the risen Jesus had other ideas. He wanted Paul on his team. Later on, he, uh, God says to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. This man is my chosen instrument. What we witness here on the Damascus Road is a, is a divine inbreaking into a life. The Lord Jesus sovereignly annexing a life for himself and for his kingdom. And what an encouragement this is for us. What a great reminder that no one, absolutely no one, is outside of the reach of God. It doesn't matter how far away, how hard-hearted they are, how many times they've heard the gospel and ignored it or even scorned it. No one is beyond the call of the risen Jesus. As Karl Barth, the theologian, uh, once wrote, it is quite true that a person must open the door of their heart to Jesus. But another thing also remains quite unreservedly true, that the risen Jesus passes through locked doors. The Jesus of Scripture, the one we read about, is alive and active today. And that means that he can break into any life. What an encouragement that is. As we go about our days, uh, as we share God's word with people, uh, tell friends and family the good news and the hope that we have, let's be reminded that more is happening than just the sharing of truths or the opening of a book. The risen Jesus is able to make himself present and to reveal himself. In this time of lockdown where so many things are confined, let's rem Let's remember that Jesus is not quarantined. Jesus is not confined. The risen Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father is able to make himself present by his Spirit and able to break into any lives. Let's be encouraged to pray earnestly afresh that he would be revealing himself across our nation, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbours, however hostile or dismissive they've been in the past. Jesus is able to break into any life. So that's the first thing I wanted to highlight. The second implication of the fact that Jesus is alive and active is this. The risen Jesus can, can transform any life. The risen Jesus can transform any life. The young Saul that we are introduced to here is not a nice man. He is not a nice man at all. He appears to be a man consumed 
by hatred, hatred and bitterness. He's out for blood. We're told uh, at the beginning of our passage that he is so overflowing with anger that he's breathing out murderous threats. I just imagine him uh, walking along, unable to contain himself, just mumbling with kind of anger and, uh, and, 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 and vengeance. And yet, this is the very same man who later penned one of the most extraordinary uh, and uh, kind passages in all of scripture, read at almost every wedding that I've ever been to, the famous 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm just going to read us a little extract from that. The later Saul would write this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the same man that we're told later in Acts, the, the elders of the Ephesians, Ephesian church wept over when he told them he had to leave. I once uh, sat next to a classics professor who had come on an alpha course and on the first uh, evening I sat next to him and I, and I asked him, um, what is it that's brought you along here? What's made you interested in Christianity? And he said that it was, it was Paul. He was fascinated by reading and studying the letters of Paul. This is what he said to me. He said, Paul has the leadership ability of Alexander the Great. He has the mind of Aristotle. But what I really can't get over is that he also has the soft heart of a father. He has the soft heart of a father. This is a transformed man. This is a transformed life. Through this encounter and through pouring out his Holy Spirit, Jesus hasn't just claimed this man, hasn't just claimed this life. He changes it forever. The worst enemy the church had known became its greatest servant. And I want us to hear this morning that Jesus is still doing this kind of life transforming today. Throughout his earthly ministry, we see him, him doing this, calling people to himself. But they're not just calling them, but, but, but turning their lives around 180 degrees and bringing, bringing new life to them. We see Peter the fisherman, uh, fisherman uh, given a new purpose. We see Zacchaeus the tax collector given a new freedom and generosity. We see the Samaritan woman uh, receiving a radical new dignity. We see Nicodemus, the religious expert, finds new spiritual life and understanding when he encounters Jesus. And Jesus is still doing this today. And if Jesus can change someone like Saul, he can change anyone. He can change you, he can change me. I have friends who Jesus has set free from, from, from life-controlling gambling addictions. I have friends who've uh, been set free from substance abuse. I've been, uh, people have been set free from uncontrollable anger. Some of them are even church leaders now. I've seen Jesus set people free from consuming unforgiveness, crippling worry 
about life or, or about money. I've seen him restore friendships and relationships. I wonder, what is it that we need to bring to him today? What is it that we need to bring to him in our life at this moment? This week, in one of my allotted hours of exercise, I was walking uh, through town and I um, saw a big banner and it said, this dental practice is still accepting new patients. And I thought to myself, I wonder what Jesus would have up if he, uh, if he had a poster. I think he'd, he'd say this, the risen Jesus is still accepting new disciples. Jesus is still accepting new disciples. The Jesus we read about and the Jesus we follow is not dead, but alive. And not just alive, but active. He is at work in this world, in his church and in our lives. What wonderful news that is to be reminded of him. We see today that he uh, is, is, is powerful to break into any life. Let's be praying, let's be seeking him to do that. But we also see that he is still taking on disciples, still transforming lives. And he invites us today to come afresh and lay our lives before him. To say, Lord, I don't just want to read about you, but I want to know your power in my life. Lead me and transform my life. Give me new freedom and new purpose. Jesus is alive and active and he loves to transform lives. Will we hand ourselves over to him afresh today? Let me pray for us as we finish there. Lord, we thank you for the great news of Easter, that you are alive. But we thank you also for the great news that you are still at work, still revealing yourself, still meeting with us, and still changing us. And we pray that you would give us greater expectation to meet with you, to meet, meet with you and see you at work in our lives. And we open ourselves again to you and your work. Come and change us. And we pray that all across the city we will be hearing stories of you breaking into lives. Thank you for being with us this morning. Amen.